Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. All right. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everyone. Rich Swerbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here, as we are every Tuesday with the last week in mortgage today, our weekly whirlwind through all the latest news uh, and happenings in the mortgage industry. Uh, Each week, I am pleased to be joined by one of our lender members as my co-host, And this week, really thrilled to be joined by the president of Consumer Lending of Adams Bank and Trust out of Colorado, also TMC Board of Directors member and longtime TMC member, Julie Pifo. Julie, great to see you. Great to see you too, Rich. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Excellent. And uh, as always, any questions, comments, thoughts anyone has, please feel free to drop them in the chat or the Q&A and uh, we'll go ahead and incorporate them into the show. Julie, let's start with the Fed. We have a Fed chairman nomination, as most thought, uh, although it got a little squirrely there the last couple of weeks with the interview of Lael Brainerd and a lot of political bickering from both sides uh, for their candidate. President Biden uh, elects to nominate uh, the existing Fed chair, Jerome J. Powell, who uh, you know, largely uh, credited positively for his actions uh, in the wake of the pandemic, acting very aggressively uh, and very de- decisively, certainly printing a lot of money that's been uh, pumped into the U.S. economy, gets the nod uh, once again to be the Fed chair. Any thoughts on current Chairman Powell's renomination? Well, I think it was a positive move. I think. Uh, Biden wanted to keep steady the course. I think, you know, he kept a Republican in and vice chair is now a Democrat. Um, Powell is um, not controversial. He's brought a lot of jobs in. Um, One of the things that Powell really is focusing on is jobs, which is positive rather than curbing inflation. Yes. Does he have to curb inflation? Of course. That's the big thing that's on the docket right now, correct? You know, what's going to happen with inflation? So that's the big thing that he and Brainerd are going to have to talk about is how do we keep inflation down? And But I really like the part that they're talking about the job, the increasing in jobs, increasing in employment. How do we keep doing that, which is something different than we've talked about in the past. Yeah, certainly an interesting dynamic with employment in America. All all the employment numbers are good, but they're just shifting. You know, like uh, trying to get fast food the other night, at least where I live in Northeast Ohio, like (laughs) none of the fast food places, their dining rooms aren't open uh, because of staffing. And the line for the drive through is incredibly long. Uh, So, you know, people migrating away from these customer facing kind of, you know, lower level to middling jobs, medical has been impacted. Uh, as well, pretty significantly in favor of work from home jobs and, you know, more kind of sit in front of the computer employment. Uh, Interesting to see how that will all play out in the coming months and years, but it feels like just the employment dynamic in America has been changed pretty dramatically. It has. And I, and I do find it curious because we're seeing the employment is increasing. uh, Jobs are increasing. Wages are increasing, but yet I just saw an ad, um, maybe it was on the football game the other night, you know, a 15, it was a 15 second ad by FedEx for employment. And of course, we've all seen the Amazon ads 
for employment. You see banners everywhere for employment. So obviously, we still have a huge need for workers in all sorts of areas. Uh, Denver International Airport had a job fair for 5,000 jobs, 100 people showed up. So increased employment, yes, but yes, there's still a lot of jobs out there. So I think Powell and Brainerd still have a lot of work to do in front of them. Well said. Uh, Moving on, uh, something that's not new news, but has been in the news and uh, been talked about a lot by our members and the broader mortgage industry. That would be the HUD MMI fund, of course, the reserve fund uh, that reserves against FHA loans, capital ratio levels up over 8%, over four times the statutory limit, uh, has really uh, spurred a lot of debate in the industry on uh, what, if anything, HUD should do there. Should they lower FHA premiums up front, monthly, maybe both? Uh, Should they not overreact, wait and see what happens? Uh, Your thoughts on the matter? Well, we've been talking about it for several years now. We've gone above the statutory limit. First, we had to make sure the reverse mortgage fund was profitable since they mixed those together. And now that we're at the 8% remark, you know, I mean, Brooke Smith at MBA saying, come on, folks, let's look at this. And I think same thing, too. Let's look at both the upfront and the, and the annual MIP and say, come on. Let's give the first-time home buyer a break, and that's what we're really looking at. And as we look at affordability for the first-time home buyer, they do need a break. I mean, the cost of housing is expensive right now. So if we can give something back to them and upfront MIP and the annual MIP, I think we should. Delinquency rate it will always be higher than the conventional delinquency rate, but it's not that high right now. So. I'm definitely in favor of looking at lowering both the upfront and then monthly NYP. What are you thinking about it, Rich? Well, you're right, because this is not a new issue. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. The MMI, the capital ratio has been up over 6% now for years. And, yeah. you know, I think the, you know, the, the more conservative uh, pundits have said, well, well, let's wait and see what happens. And now, okay, now we're, it's risen 200 basis points and we're up over 8%. And you're right, we really have an affordable housing problem in America. I think there's no way to get around it. Uh, so to me, uh, you know, making sensible uh, reductions to uh, the FHA upfront and monthly premiums, since those life are life alone, and they do really touch that, you know, a lot of first-time home buyers and uh, low to moderate income home buyers would, uh, would not only be the appropriate thing to do, but I think it would be a nice gesture, I think, as we go into the winter, right? I mean, uh, in right. theory, you're going to have a little less uh, home purchase activity. And maybe this would uh, inspire some of those people on the fence to uh, start doing some home shopping, which, of course, our industry likes. So I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. me too. Let's do it. Let's do it. Easy for us to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're not in charge. Our vote counts. Also uh, making news this week, the CFPB, which uh, to their credit has been, I think, very uh, forthright about what they're looking to do. It's clearly going to be a more intense regulatory climate uh, as we move forward. Um, But I think they are telegraphing. Hopefully it's not enforcement by, you know, uh, regulatory action. But, uh, you know, basically they came out this week and said, 
uh, that they are right now in the process of doing a pretty comprehensive review of just all the Humda data that they're collecting um, and trying to assess uh, its effectiveness in detecting discrimination, redlining. I don't think not a surprise to any of us in the industry. We've been talking about it for months that and clearly CFPB is going to be getting around to taking a look at this Humda data, ways they can use it to hold lenders accountable to, you know, making sure they're, uh, you know, not participating in any type of discrimination and making loans available to people of all ethnicities and income levels. Uh, Julie, you have a, about as decorated a uh, compliance and operational background as anybody I know in the industry. You've done it for independent mortgage banks. You've done it for uh, depository institutions like Adams Bank and Trust. Your thoughts on just the regulatory climate in general, what could emanate from uh, what is now going on, a review of Humda data and, and maybe some of the actions you think could spur, uh, result from that? Um, so we now we're with the new Humda data, right? So we just filed the new Humda LARS, new data, additional data. So we've all been concerned about what's going to, are they going to do with all this data? So now here we have CFEB saying we're looking at all this data. And once again, we probably have some bad actors out there that didn't do things right. And we know that CFEB is working with a couple lenders that do, didn't do the right data. You know, they didn't, um, they used white models, they used white neighborhoods, they uh, had white loan officers, you know, and, and um, so they're working with them and they haven't decided on what they're going to do with fines. Um, I, I think we all have to look internally and, and look at what we're doing and make sure our data is accurate and correct. But the CFEB also has to be realistic and, and understand we as practitioners are doing the best job that we can do. And they need to work with us as partners, not as come swooping down on us and say, with their thumb on us and say, bad, bad, bad. We're going to put fines and enforcement penalties on you and, and do cease and desist orders because that's just not going to work. You know, if we're trying to simulate America and try to simulate home ownership, that, that isn't going to happen. Are there people that are redlining? Of course there are, but I just don't think it's to the extent of what they think it is. You know, even back in the old days, there were three to five percent institutions that were doing bad things. Um, are there violations of TILA and ECOA? Of course there are, but once again, there's people like us did we do a fat thumb? I don't know. I mean, people do that all the time, but I think we need to continue to work with the institutions to say, here's what happened. You put out a bulletin, a quarterly bulletin and say, this is what we've seen. Here's the errors that we're seeing. Here's what we see that you can do to fix those errors. That's again, the partnership that we should have with the CFPB rather than just have a real enforcement hand with with the lending in institutions. Well put, yeah. And let's hope that is the case. That was not the case uh, the last time we had a Democratic president and CFTB and uh, was not that tone for sure. 
Uh, some signs that it could be better here, but uh, proof will be in the pudding. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But yeah. if you're a lender out there on the phone uh, or on the call, you should clearly be doing some sort of review of your own home to data, <laughs> um, understanding yeah, what's you in there, looking for errors and um, yeah, looking for anything that uh, that could cause alarm proactively. Because uh, I mean, just, you know, I was in the banking world for a long time and you, you've been in the ops and compliance side of the business for a very long time, like self-recognition and showing that you are, you know, conducting your own reviews and doing things proactively to, uh, you know, uh, remedy uh, errors or changes in process you need. It goes a long way uh, with the regulators when they come in. So this is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined this week by Adams Bank and Trust's president of consumer lending and TMC board member, Julie Pifo. Uh, Julie, uh, turning our attention, uh, VA came out this week and said uh, they're basically hiking appraisal fees and uh, elevating some turn times just, I think, based just off of, uh, you know, just demand, like being able to satiate demand uh, and, you know, they, they said it was an unprecedented level of demand uh, for VA loans, appraisals. Uh, any any thoughts on that issue? Oh, my gosh. I mean, just how awful. I mean, just how terrible. I mean, we have in all of our markets, we have long turn times and we have appraisers that we can't get a hold of. And and I just can't believe that VA would do this to their veterans. You know, um, I'm in rural Nebraska and rural Kansas in some areas, and we can't find appraisers either, and we can't get decent turn times. And yes, are they increasing their appraisal fees to a degree? Yes, they are. And their turn times, of course, they are. But I can't believe that VA is actually doing this to the veterans. You know, you look at an article that I I pulled up, and, you know, they're going in Alaska, which is just craziness. They're going up to $1,300 for a VA appraisal. And we know a VA appraisal is more lengthy. It's not, it's harder to do. And, you know, I mean, that whole process should be re-engineered anyway. I mean, we should have a standardized appraisal for VA, just the same as we do for conventional and FHA. So I, I just find this totally unconscionable. I mean, you need to do what the market bears. I understand that. But to have this come now as we have, no housing inventory and and we're trying to get people into homes especially our veterans i i'm having a tough time with this one yeah it is unfortunate and good segue to the next couple topics that i wanted to hit on all really inventory related and you know it, it you just look at the numbers i mean obviously this past spring inventory levels were as bad as i've ever seen them uh, right. You know, we all remember the reports of, you know, just ridiculous 40, 50 offers on houses and homes going for insane levels above asking price. Uh, inventory levels got never got close to healthy, but, uh, you know, elevated a little bit as we got into the summer and early part of the fall. But now what we've seen on the September and the October data coming out is inventory coming back down the other way here, dropping uh, some reports that uh, came out over the course of the last week. Uh, let's start with housing construction uh, and, you know, two main 
economic indicators that we all keep an eye on there. One is housing starts. That's like shovels in the ground. Uh, the other is building permits, which is a more forward leading indicator, mm-hmm. um, you know, plans to put shovels in grounds and housing starts uh, flattened out in the most recent month uh, based off the data we got this week. But building permits up 4% in October over September, up almost 4% year over year this October from last October uh, was a departure of uh, from what most economists predicted what was coming. Seems like a good sign. How's the uh, you know, just new home construction markets and, uh, you know, the areas that you're in and uh, would love your thought on just new home construction in general. It's been a weird last year and a half for it. Just a lot of different impediments, you know, some related to the pandemic and some not. Yeah, it is. It, and I think that's really positive news because we do have uh, a inventory slash capacity problem and uh, I'm sitting on an affordable housing subcommittee for the state of Colorado, which is just for um, distributing the the CARES Act money. Um, And it's all about capacity. And so you've got to, where's the land, where's the workers and where's the supply, you know, and that's, that's all, that's all it is. And so to see building permits up, so, and, uh, and employment up, that gives me hope that maybe we're finding some more workers that are working in the trade you know, supplies are still an issue, obviously, but if we can get some land, I mean, I'm looking out here and I see some vacant fields <laughs> in my office, you know, that are ready for development. And it's still, unfortunately, you know, we're trying to work with some of the municipalities to say, hey, can you streamline your process of doing approvals on subdivisions? You know, I think there's a whole process here that we all need to work with so that we can try and get this put together. So that gives me great hope that maybe there's some of these things that's happening throughout the United States for whether it's affordable housing or whether it's just, like you said, sticks in the ground. Um, I loved when I travel to look and see how many cranes there are. That's when I see cranes in the air, that makes me really happy because I know there's economic growth happening right there. Absolutely. So uh, moving our attention to new and existing home sale reports also coming out over the course of the last week here. New home sales in October down 6.4% from September. I think largely related to some of the issues we just talked about on, on new home construction. Existing home sales up 0.8% uh, from October to September, but inside that report, uh, you know, was a report of falling inventory, uh, inventory down another full percent uh, from September, uh, just 2.4 months of homes on the market, and inventory 12% lower on existing homes than it was a year ago. This inventory issue, uh, you know, we've had some you know, contrarian opinions on this, uh, some guests that we brought on this show and others. Um, but, and I know there's a lot of second homes out there as people that own it, it, it To me, it just still really feels like America was a little underbuilt going into the pandemic. And then we've had a lot of things that you just mentioned that have really slowed new home construction. I just, man, it, it really is tough to see a path where inventory is not an issue and 
home values don't continue to at least go up incrementally. I would love to hear your thoughts on just the, the broader inventory issue in America that uh, obviously directly impacts our industry. I don't see any relief in sight at this point in time. I, I still think, as I said earlier, I think we have a big capacity issue and I still see investors buying up what inventory that comes on the market. I saw an article on TV in, in Atlanta about one company owning hundreds of thousands of rental homes, which just blew me away. I had no idea. So if, if that is happening, you know, the average homeowner cannot get into a home. We have that capacity issue. So you know, trying to look at the renter versus the buy, it's just not happening for those people. And so we've got to find capacity somehow. And I don't, with, when you have 2.4 months of inventory, that, that's not good for us. So I think it's going to continue to happen. Now we're getting into the season where people aren't going to put their homes on the market anyway. It's just seasonal for most of us in the United States. Um, it's, it's going to stay that way until probably March, April. So I think it's just going to continue to be an issue for us. We've got to find capacity supply somehow. And I don't know how that's going to happen until we figure out some the lower issues of working again with municipalities. We've got to streamline. We've got to find the land. Uh, we've got to work with different ways of creating capacity. Uh, I know we're working on the state. Um, and it's not tiny homes. Tiny homes is not the answer, you know. Um, one of the things that we're working on is can we create um, modular home factories? Uh, the cost of modular home factories to build a modular home is $87,000 versus $308,000 for a sick-built home. So if you can find the land and put a modular home on that, um, again, I'm looking at affordable housing versus just overall housing. But, you know, there's some different issues that you can look at, too, for capacity. Um, but I think it continues into 2022. It's great to hear some of the things you're doing in the state of Colorado, because it's a complex issue. It's not simple. There's no simple fix to, uh, you know, national uh, housing stock and inventory issues. And it's going to take people like you doing creative things like you're doing in the state of Colorado uh, to fix the issue on a state by state level and, be interesting to see, you know, if the federal government gets involved, I, you know, again, it's complex and there's always unintended consequences of uh, anytime government tries to, you know, stick their paws into anything that uh, is happening. Yeah. But you would think that the, I've been saying this for nine months now, it seems like there's something they can do to make it a little less advantageous for institutional investors and corporations to keep gobbling up homes uh, like, you know, the company uh, in Georgia that you talked about. To me, that, is it going to fix the issue? No, but it seems like, you know, that that it at least will help. And there's no, the only people being adversely affected in theory are the companies that are <laughs> gobbling up all these homes and running them out, <laughs> selling some of them. And yeah. so, but uh, this winter is going to be interesting in general. I think we've seen and heard, We've seen in, in application statistics from MBA and others that the volume's starting to drop off. Um, yes. You know, it's, it's it's especially these last two three weeks here as we've gotten into November. We've seen some reports from you know, like Realtor.com and you know they're 
companies that it's in their interest to put out flowery uh, results about <laughs> housing that would seem to indicate that hopefully people will uh, are planning to list their homes uh, over the holiday season and into the winter. But, uh, and then you just, it's the winter itself. You know, you live in Colorado. I live in yes. Cleveland. I mean, you know, the, the purchase market in Ohio and Northeast Ohio, where I live is very impacted by how brutal of a winter we have. So uh, a lot of different variables at play and uh, it's going to be an interesting winter for the mortgage industry. I, you know, I don't think there's a lot of very all over the board predictions for uh, what is ahead of us these next three, four months. I think we've got to be creative. We've got to understand what our markets are, who's in our market, who's trying to develop our markets. And I think it's just, it is going to be a different, winter for us. I mean, right now, we're not, we don't have a, a drop of snow. We have now broken the record since 1934 of the most days without snow in the front range of Colorado. So it's, 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 it's different everywhere right now, what's going on with markets. So we could be building a ton of homes if we had supply and inventory. Absolutely. So uh, this is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Stravinsky with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined this week by Adams Bank and Trust, President of Consumer Lending, Julie People. Julie, what else? What uh, as we head now uh, into the Thanksgiving holiday and into 2022, uh, what else has got your attention right now outside of the you know the normal day to day stuff? Being a leader in our industry, uh, anything in particular that uh, you're you know, keeping an eye on personally or uh, uh, initiatives for your bank that uh, kind of bubbled to the top of the to-do list? Well, I think with my loan officers, I'm really going back to basics with my loan officers. Uh, You know, I'm working with them on um, business plans. I, um, I think that's one of the things we tend to forget about is just individual business plans, helping them understand where their business comes from, who it is, put their eye on the number, understand um, what their mark- market is. Um, go drive around with them to understand that, you know, this, this builder's subdivision is a national builder and they're not going to get any loans from this one, but here's a little niche market over here that's got 40 homes in it. Can we become a preferred builder here? Who's the realtor that's doing a lot of business? So I think we tend to forget about that in a lot of times with our loan officers. So that's one of the things I'm doing with our loan officers for 2022 is going back to basics with the loan officers. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I've heard, heard the same thing from a lot of other leaders in uh, our network. I respect because it's been like for an LO shooting fish in a barrel the last year and a half, yeah. <laughs> a lot of really not excellent LOs that uh, have made a lot of money uh, as we move forward, yeah. you know, really uh, is going to be a lot tougher. Uh, probably for some years. So uh, yeah, great point. And yeah, didn't mean to cut you off. Go uh, proceed on. Uh, you're gonna no, make- I, okay. I was just going to say with, with MBA projecting a 30% decrease in volume next year, I mean, we weren't heavy refi, but still you've got to know where you're getting your business from. And sometimes loan officers just even in a bank environment think that people just walk in the bank and want to say, hello, I want a mortgage loan. <laughs> and that doesn't happen. You know, we have to be creative. I think as a bank, I'm working on some creative products for the bank to, to put out for portfolio. So I think we all have to be creative of how we market and what we think of and how we approach our customers. Awesome. And uh, 
for those uh, TMC members uh, that are in the audience or listening to this or watching it after the fact, our 12 days of TMC event starts next week, really is a fantastic event, 55 different uh, really interactive sessions. And uh, we tabbed uh, Julie to interview the CFPB Acting Associate Director of Supervision, Enforcement, and Fair Lending. That sounds really intimidating. Uh, Dave. It does. Eugio, who uh, nice enough to address our members. I believe that's next week, and I'm really looking forward to that interview. And uh, yeah, hearing you know right from uh, you know uh, obviously a key leader at the CFPB, uh, you know what they're looking at, and uh, you know any tips, best practices for lenders to uh, you know just from a regulatory standpoint uh, as we move forward here. So uh, thank you for doing that for us, uh, Julie. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that interview. Yeah, I think sometimes we kind of forget to listen to people like this from the CFPB and the quarterly supervision manual for, because they give us their tips and tricks, really. They tell us what they're looking for. They give us what they've looked at. And if we just look at those uh, quarterly um, manuals and we listen to him next week, he's going to hopefully tell us what his priorities are for 2022 so we can craft our own strategy around that or at least make sure like we were talking earlier about the humda data you know make sure you do an audit of your own humda data so you don't send it in and it's uh, totally have tons of fat fingers on it or it's totally inaccurate so yeah the 12 days of christmas coming up is going to have some great speakers on it so i encourage you all to uh, participate if you haven't signed up for it it's going to be a, a Lots of fun things over the 12 days. Yeah, it's really a great event. The link is in the chat or just go to mortgagecollaborative.com if you're listening to this after. Uh, really an incredible event with uh, like everything we do. Uh, Julie's on our board of directors. Our board of directors is intentionally populated with our lender members. So one of many cool things about TMC, uh, kind of managed by our members and everything we do from our in-person conferences to uh, events like this 12 days event, we're fueling, we have no MO in putting this agenda and all these sessions together other than to give our members exactly, uh, you know, what they're looking for, what they want to hear about, what they want to talk about, the most pertinent issues facing them as they head into the new year and uh, what is going to be an interesting and tougher year. So I uh, hope to see many of you uh, in these uh, tic-tac-toe video boxes uh, in the coming weeks on the 12 days event. So... <laughs> Well, Julie, always greatly enjoy talking about our business with you. Appreciate your involvement with TMC, your early belief in TMC and uh, all you do for our organization and for co-hosting uh, the last week of mortgage today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you, Rich. It's always fun to be with you and always great to share uh, views and news with TMC members. So looking forward to seeing you at the 12 days of Christmas. Absolutely. And we'll have three special versions of the last week in mortgage today as part of the 12 days event. So we aren't going away. Uh, we'll be here as we are uh, every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern uh, for the show live. And then, of course, uh, we make these into podcasts where a lot of you listen and uh, upload them to our YouTube page where uh, a lot of you watch after the fact as well. So until next week, have a very happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And uh, don't eat too much or eat too much. And <laughs> hopefully your football teams win. And uh you get a chance to vegetate on the couch uh, a little bit uh, these next few days. So, uh, but uh, have a great rest of the week, everyone.
Take care. Happy Thanksgiving. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.